Welcome to Buzz House, a Vacatelli podcast where you can find all the buzz around multifamily housing. I'm Don Bernard, the partner in charge of Baker Tilly's multifamily housing practice. And I'm Garrett Gibson, a partner at Baker Tilly, also specializing in consulting on multifamily housing transactions across the country. Each week, we'll bring you a guest or a topic in the multifamily housing industry that will help you win now and anticipate tomorrow. Let's get started. We're excited to welcome into the Buzz House today, Curtis Cunningham, the Assistant Administrator for Benefits and Service Delivery within the Medicaid program here in the state of Wisconsin. With many affordable housing developments implementing various supportive housing components, our discussion today with Curtis will revolve around Medicaid and its role in affordable housing programs. Really looking forward to our discussion today, Curtis. I have two real quick updates from around the industry. The first, HUD recently published the updated Rental Assistance Demonstration, or RAD, rents. These rents will form the basis of the conversion rents for properties awarded CHAPS or with amended CHAPS on or after January 1st, 2023. Also, the Iowa Finance Authority, whose next 9% round is in April of 2023, who had formerly hired market study professionals directly themselves, this year changing the process that developers are to hire the market study professionals directly. If looking in Iowa, you can reach out to our colleague, David Haviland, who leads up our market study practice, and we'd be happy to assist you with your project. Now, let's jump into our discussion with Curtis. I'm going to turn it over to Garrick. Hey, thanks, Don. And Curtis, thank you uh, for joining BuzzHouse. Pretty eager to hear what you have to say. So before we jump into questions, why don't you go ahead and let our listeners know a little bit about your agency and your role within that agency? First off, thank you very much for having uh, me on this uh, podcast. It's uh, quite an honor and look forward to sharing some information on, on Medicaid. I work for the Wisconsin Department of Health Services and the Division of Medicaid Services. And my official title is Assistant Administrator for Benefits and Service Delivery. And within that role, I have the responsibility of determining the coverage policy for the Wisconsin Medicaid program, including everything from pharmaceutical drugs to acute and primary services like home health, personal care, behavioral health services like residential substance use disorder, psychiatry services, uh, and, and then also all the home and community-based services such that allow people to stay in the home and community, such as supportive home care, home modifications, and things like that. And then the other part of my job is to put together all these various individual benefits into service delivery packages that can meet the needs of the 1.6 million people that are on the Wisconsin Medicaid program. With 1.6 million people, it's a very diverse population. You have individuals needing behavioral health treatment. So we have various programs for that. You have our home and community-based services programs, which is family care, which is a HCBS program to provide services to keep people in the home and community. And then obviously we have our, our large area of Badger care and SSI managed care to serve people that are SSI eligible. And then basically AFDC or moms and kids. So the idea is that we want to be able to bring these, all these services and delivery models together to really bring a person-centered approach to delivering Medicaid services to individuals. And so that our services are easy to understand, they're person-centered and easy to navigate. So it's a tall order, but uh, I work on it every day. I've been with Medicaid in various roles for about 22 years, state uh, developmental disability director, 
and also serve on the board of Advancing States, which is a national aging and disability organization, and serve on the national policy work group for the National Association of State uh, Disability Directors. Yeah, no, thanks for that background. I, that that was a lot, and uh, I didn't realize, you know, the, the one point six million. That's definitely a large number, and to have all those different programs, at least, uh, you know, your goal is trying to simplify it, which is great. So why don't we jump into our questions? Obviously, you know, it's in the name, Buzz House. We're about housing. So to start out with our first question, why is it housing actually important to Medicaid? This has uh, been a quite a topic for a long time, and it's you know goes into the broader topic of social determinants of health, whether it's food, housing, other supports that individuals need, with the recognition that at least in Wisconsin, about twenty percent of the state budget is Medicaid spending. Uh, we get about 60% of funding from the federal government and the state pays 40%. These are increasingly increasing costs for states and pressures on, on them to, to pay for these programs. And it's recognized that without stable housing and a housing first approach, that much of the medical treatment is either going to fail or not be as cost effective as possible. And Medicaid, the fail safe valve is really institutional care, either in a hospital or a nursing home. But if you can keep people healthy, help people recover and stay in the community, that's far cheaper. And part of that is making sure that they have housing resources to go to, to support their medical needs. And so there's some, been some great research, you know, uh, throughout the nation, but one of the things was a, a hotspotting experiment in Camden, New Jersey where they uh, actually put some medical individuals into somewhere where they had some super utilizers to support both housing as well as the medical side. And there was a significant savings to the state and, and, and basically a better quality of life for individuals too, because no one wants to go to the ER six or seven times a year. Good. Well, thank you for coming. I think it's interesting. You mentioned social determinants of health. Our listeners of the Buzz House know that's a topic that's come up. It's going to kind of continue to come up. We just actually had a, a hospital system on and talking about some of the very similar things. So it's kind of a, a recurring theme. Paris, kind of staying on the theme of Medicaid just a little bit. What is Medicaid? Who qualifies? Even you know, before we move forward with more housing discussion. Well, as I mentioned, I, I think uh, Medicaid is a state-federal partnership where we have an agreement with the federal government and essentially to run medical programs. As I mentioned that 1.6 billion people are on the program. A lot of that is due to the current public health emergency where we, for COVID, where we have restrictions on, on disenrolling individuals, but we have a diverse population. I guess if I break it down, I look at the disabled population, uh, whether elderly, developmentally disabled, physically disabled population is one core group. I think the other group that is rather large, but rather low cost is uh, uh, moms, kids, families that uh, do not have health insurance and have an income below 100% of the federal poverty level. So, and then for a variety of reasons, Medicaid also does a lot of behavioral health services. It's the safety net program for behavioral health services. And then I think the the last thing I'd point out is we deliver a lot of babies in the Medicaid program. <laughs> About 40 to 50% of all births in Wisconsin are through the Medicaid program. 
And relating that back to housing, you need to have stable housing if you're going to be able to raise a young child. So again, it all ties together on how do we make sure we can um, have success for, uh, for the individuals in our program. Thank you for that uh, overview, Curtis. Now kind of getting back into the, the theme of housing a little bit. And some people might think Medicaid and housing and can it really coexist. But can you maybe just start with like, what are some regulations around housing and, and Medicaid? When I think about the different areas, you look at uh, institutional care, such as hospitals and nursing homes, and there's the component uh, that's of room and board. And institutions, the Medicaid program can reimburse for the cost of room and board, food, you know, the lights, the, the space. But then once you get outside of those institutional settings, the Medicaid program does not allow for you to pay for room and board. And so that is a little bit of an obstacle in the sense that there needs to be, the member needs to fund that cost. So, you know, I think that's one of the big drivers of how do we make sure that people that are not in institutions have the ability to pay for room and board. Uh, you have to define that. And we currently use the HUD FMR plus the SNAP allocation for the calculation of room and board in our, our Medicaid program. And then I think the other thing I need to point out is outside of institutions, there's a, a pretty significant rule called the Home and Community-Based Settings Rule. And it is basically the federal government saying, look, if you're going to say that this residential or this service should be reimbursed through our home and community-based services waivers, that it indeed needs to be home and community-based. In other words, people need, you need to have the right to privacy. It needs to be integrated into the community. They have, need to have the right to come and go as they please. They have a right to food choices. And so that's been a pretty significant rule. That's uh, actually March 17th is when all states need to comply with that uh, regulation. So that is big. I think the other thing I'll point out is internet has been currently a big issue that is not reimbursable by Medicaid. Uh, they consider that part of room and board. And that's been interesting in the sense that for some of the services we provide, like adaptive technologies or other things, you can pay for, you know, the cellular technology if it's part and parcel of the individual service being provided, but you cannot actually purchase internet. That's one that we're still working on. Uh, there's a individuals in the community also get a community needs allocation, and that's a calculation that each state has in their eligibility process. And so there is funding that the individual does have to help pay for that room and board. But that differential often causes difficulties in getting people into the community. I think the other fact of the matter is that, you know, that again, the backstop are hospitals and nursing homes. And so if you don't have a strong community-based settings, I think that's why, you know, I mean, you're probably more knowledgeable on, on the disability housing and why we want to make sure there's a housing stock for individuals with disabilities so that we can have people live in the community. I'll just also mention there's a, if people really want to nerd out on the on social determinants of health, CMS did release a uh, state health official letter 21-001. You can Google it. And uh, that is a pretty comprehensive document talking about social determinants of health and what housing services can be covered by Medicaid. 
Yeah, Curtis, thanks for that. I'll definitely uh, look into reading through that. In your answer, you mentioned room and board and what Medicaid can't be used for outside of nursing homes and hospitals, but what housing services are available for elderly and disabled persons? It was recognized probably in the 80s that there was a lot of individuals that were either elderly, physically disabled, developmentally disabled, that were sitting in institutions. And clearly that this was not a way to uh, allow individuals to live their full lives to. And so along with the larger developmental disability movement, started with Kennedy with the DD Act, there really was a, a CMS came in and said, we will start a waiver process where you can ask for a waiver to provide services to support people in the community in lieu of an institution. And these are called 1915C home and community-based settings waivers. And so we have a few of these in Wisconsin, but basically what they do is allow you to cover things besides the room and board, the care and supervision costs associated with assisted living. So we cover one to two bed adult family homes, three to four bed adult family homes, uh, CBRFs, those are just larger community-based residential facilities and residential care apartment complexes. So that really does provide access for people to live in the community as well as people to live in their home and then whole host of supports that can be covered under that, including home modifications, supportive home care for in Wisconsin, you know, shoveling snow, um, you know, lawn care, food preparation and things like that. So it's been very successful in Wisconsin. We're really proud. If you look at AARP, we're third in the nation in regards to our ranking on home and community-based services. And about 80% of our individuals are living in the community instead of in institutions when they're at an institutional level of care. I will also pout a little bit. The other thing is that we are at full entitlement in Wisconsin for home and community-based services. So it's something we're very proud of and people ever want to reach out, they can be happy to share our story with them. No, that's great. So, I mean, and these are housing services, just to clarify, right, that are for elderly and disabled persons, but what type of housing services are actually available for people who actually don't meet those definitions discussed earlier or, or you know, of elderly and disabled persons? This is really where there's been a lot of work in the Medicaid space because as I mentioned, home and community-based waivers have been around for a while, but more recently is really the, the focus on, okay, if we can't pay for room and board, what are the ancillary services we can cover around the edges? And so two things we are doing, there's a, all states have what are called a CHIP, the Children's Health Insurance Program, and you can allocate a certain amount of that funding to various initiatives. And we are doing a housing support initiative where we are coordinating and giving grants to our continuum of care partners and that we're going to fund those entities to provide housing consultation, which is basically developing a housing plan, transition supports for families to prepare for transitional housing, you know, help them do housing searches, providing education sustaining supports once they have uh, been housed that to help them understand their rights and, you know, tenant rights, conflict resolution and other things. And then the last benefit in this package is the relocation supports. 
which uh, it would help relocate individuals if they need to uh, relocate, help with security deposits, home furnishings, and, and benefits like that. So almost everything around uh, housing, that was approved. And we're starting that in February 2023. And that's going to focus on pregnant women and children under 200% of the federal poverty level. And it is the first time it's been approved without a conditional medical criteria. So pretty exciting to see that benefit be available to support pregnant women and children. The second area that is uh, a big area is called the 1915-I state plan amendment. And these are just various regulatory authorities under the Social Security Act. Under this one, this will be a state plan amendment. So this will be uh, statewide. And... We are going to provide those same housing consultation, transition supports, sustaining supports, and relocation supports to individuals that either have a substance abuse condition or a mental health condition and are 18 years or older. So this is another area where hopefully we can coordinate and uh, provide those, those services. I should say for both these programs that we're starting, that you do have to meet kind of the HUD's definition for the four categories of homelessness, including literally homelessness, imminent risk, homelessness under other federal statutes, or fleeing or attempting to flee domestic violence. So those are other qualifying eligibility standards for those programs. Curtis, honestly, a wealth of information. I think this is going to be new for some of our listeners, but just I just love this continuation of health and housing and how it really is this collaborative effort, right? It's it's state agencies, it's nonprofits, for-profits, it's really, it's us, right? It's everyone listening on this on this podcast too. So thank you very much for joining us today, Curtis. Thank you. It's all about coming together to really support the person as a whole person. And, and that's what we're trying to do too. Thank you for listening to Buzz House. To receive a notification when new episodes are available, please subscribe to Buzz House, a Baker Tilly podcast, wherever you get your podcast. For additional resources around multifamily housing, check out bakertilly.com. And if you have a suggested topic, please send them to build at bakertilly.com. That's B-U-I-L-D at bakertilly.com.